Welcome back, Johnchi people, to the Johnchi Show. It is your boys, KJ, Nathan, and Patrick. Um, we are here and excited for this next episode, and Patrick is on the road. So, Patrick, don't say anything because <laughs> we don't want you to die. I on the road, Patrick. <laughs> I think what? Classically, we all what? know that talking while driving leads to death. So... You but take it easy. Yeah, there's actually no uh, law, though, about podcasting while driving, so you're fine. <laughs> we found the loophole, everyone. It's hands-free. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, since we found the loophole, Patrick, why don't you tell the people what John Chi means? Uh, so John Chi means... Patrick, stop looking yeah, at don't, us. You don't, don't have to look at us. It's a podcast. <laughs> don't look at us. I didn't even look at you once. <laughs> I was starting to talk. I was looking at the road. Um, You're wearing those big so, sunglasses. We can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Um, so John Chi means to feast or celebrate, uh, specifically in the sense of coming together as family uh, and as friends at the end of a week or to celebrate an annual something. Um, and that's what we do. That's the ethos of this show. We celebrate our own individual journeys as well as our shared heritages, cultures, and identities. So that is my take on it. Back to you, nice. KJ. <laughs> All right. How's the weather uh, out Patrick. there? <laughs> yeah, that was Patrick in the field. We wish About 90% travels. humidity out here in Indianapolis on 65. Pretty sunny, a nary a cloud in the sky. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's a huge crash and pile up there on the front of the freeway. <laughs> You'll see along I-5 that there's a seven-car pileup, and the traffic is stopped for miles behind. Does I-5 <laughs> go through Indianapolis? Did I just make that up? I, it mm. does not. It only goes through California. <laughs> Pretty sure. Oh, wait, no, no. it can't. Is that the A? only is that go the through that's it, or that's in Indiana. Uh, that's right. the North South Indiana. Anyways, to this is talk. the most random intro ever. <laughs> traffic talk and infrastructure talk Goodness. with the John Chi boys. That's perfect. That's perfect. We have a really fantastic interview coming up, and we're so excited about it. But um, for the time warpers out there, this is our last intro right before we meet in person. So just really briefly, Nathan, how are you feeling about our upcoming and also already happened? Uh, live show in LA and meeting each other for the first time. I am super excited and I can't wait to to meet you guys. Shake your hand. See how tall you are. <laughs> see how tall. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's gonna be a thing that we're yeah, gonna be talking is. about a bunch. Patrick's because I've already be realized very... that I'm much taller than yeah. most people in our community. I think. No, you're the mythic. You're like the legendary. <laughs> five. It honestly makes Asian. me feel weird. It kind of uh, it's makes amazing. me feel other. It kind of makes me feel other. I felt like a little bit like that when at my last meeting uh, with some <laughs> people in person. I felt weird. That I was so tall. Like it made me feel kind of out of place. But it's well, how do you think Yao Ming feels? Yeah, I mean the same. 
or similar. <laughs> I feel like he's been living he's been living at seven five for a long time. I think he's okay. Well, just keep your heels at home, and we'll be good. So, well, I need those to walk though. <laughs> Oh, you mean my, no, my heel shoes. shoes? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. flats only, bro. I thought you meant to cut my heels, no heels off of my yeah, No platforms. Like, yeah. KJ and I will wear the special uh, two-inch shoes that have that extra lift. I'm going to need more than two inches to get me anywhere <laughs> close to Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we heard from Nathan. How are you feeling about it, KJ? Um, yes, I am currently feeling very excited. And by the time you're listening to this, I feel uh, really blessed to have met both of the no. boys in person. These, okay, I heard you say that earlier. That's not true. This is coming out. They will hear this before we've met. Oh, dang oh you're saying this for all the people who are retroactively listening to the episode? Oh, that's no. true. Oh, this yeah, comes out tomorrow. Right. Yeah, it does. This comes out tomorrow Oops. or today. All right. Well, guys, all right. Scratch your mind. We did Redo. it again. We I messed up with the, the time. show. And it's everything like, broke okay. Time loop paradox. baby, baby. <laughs> We all just did our own <laughs> versions of that. No, Patrick time. and I did our own versions. And I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not, talking I'm not singing your Britney Spears. I'm saying. Steam rolls through. <laughs> that was fun. I like when we do song stuff. Yeah. I think for this, I think for this, so this is technically episode, the first episode of the second year because I subscribed to oh. 52, meaning, meaning mm. it has been one year. So this is our sure. 53rd episode. Um, Welcome and I think to for year the, two. I think for year two, we should absolutely have one singing portion at, or one singing moment every single episode. I think that's um, a great that thing is, we should incorporate into the show. That is bold. Um, and mm-hmm. we will do our best to make it happen. Uh, we already no, did. I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> and um, I am excited to hug you. Sarah Aww. keeps asking if, if we're going to do hugs. And I'm sure that, that that is something on everybody else's Brothers mind. don't shake hands. Um, Brothers got a hug. Yeah, we go in for that classic bro hug. You go in, arms, pat, one, two, three, break apart. That's how... You do that's three how, pats? That's how all bros give hugs. Oh, and then, I always uh, do two. Nope, that's just what No, what I don't even do. pat. One, two, three. When you start patting, it starts getting awkward. <laughs> I think that's because just how you feel that I way. I think the patting is like the, I don't really want to hug you. Kind of a thing. Nice. What? Okay. Yeah, I, if okay. I do a pat, it's like a one like thud pat and then move on. But if you're patting, then it's like that awkward patting, like okay, you yeah, can like, okay. you can let go. go. You can let <laughs> go. Pat, pat, pat. You can All right, let well, go. We got some things to there discuss go. in person. My take um, on patting. Yeah, that's fine. So I'm gonna be that's hugging how... Nathan for a solid 30 seconds, is oh, what I, I just heard. <laughs> yeah. And then so, I'll start patting. <laughs> and I'll be staring, I'll be making intense eye contact with Nathan as he's receiving the hug from Patrick. Hey, I'm the king of awkward <laughs> hugs, so, so don't even worry so about fun. it. It's it's already gonna be ho- awkward hug handshake stuff it's just it's my mo too so amazing yeah perfect okay. uh patrick how you feeling about it man i feel pretty good um pretty i'm not gonna lie i'm pretty excited wish i was having a little bit more time out in la but i think that's just the wanting to get away of it all but very excited to meet everyone in person meet you guys in person meet jerry meet everybody that's going to be coming out for the show on sunday i i don't know i feel like i've been doing small meetups like not very many even. And this is like the first time it's going to be a big group of us for me. And I don't know people. Somebody asked me the other day if I was, if I was nervous at all. And I said, I don't think I'm nervous at all. I think I'm really, I think it's like a palpable excitement. So yeah, I'm ready to get out there and I'm ready to see everybody and I'm ready to do all of those things. It's going to be great. 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of great, we have a great interview with Joy Lieberthal Rowe coming up. Uh, so we are going to roll that right now. Run it. Welcome to the John Cheese Show. We are here with our guest today, Joy Lieberthal Rowe. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. All the way from New York, too. Yes. So we are <laughs> spread out across the country in different time zones. So yes, this is this is great. Um, we pretty much will start our show as we do with every show. We uh, start to find out a little bit about you and your adoption story, as much or as little as you'd like to share. Sure. Um, preface, I'm old, so I came here. <laughs> okay, double um, preface, Joy, we're not ageist on the show. We're not ageist <laughs> on the you. show. We've thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, I came to the United States in 1976, um, and I was almost six years old. And I came to the U.S. with another little girl who is my sister. We are not biologically related. Um, we did not go through an agency at that time. You didn't, it wasn't required to go through an agency. So we came directly from an orphanage called Orphan's Home of Korea in Udongbu, South Korea, near about 40 to 50 miles south of the DMZ. And, um, I also have two other sisters who are also adopted from Korea and they're about nine years younger than me. And in between the nine years, uh, I had foster siblings from all over the world, from Vietnam, from the domestic foster care system, from India. Um, so there were a lot of children in our house growing up, always a lot of kids. Um, I always was the oldest, uh, so I took that role very seriously. Um, adopted into a family in New York, went to school here in New York. Um, I did go back to Korea and I lived in Korea um, right after I graduated from undergraduate school. And um, I went back to my orphanage and I lived in my orphanage for a year. And I learned how to speak Korean again. Um, and I was also reunited with my birth mother. I had found out that she had been looking for me for 21 years. And um, we reunited when I was about 24. And we've been in reunion ever since. Um Probably the gist of the adoption component of my story. Yeah, that's great. I did see your um, your Korean adoption story online on on uh, Vimeo, and uh, okay. so you mentioned your sister's name is Amy. Yes, um, and so is mine actually. Ah. So I thought that was really cool. We were both also adopted from Korea uh, at different times and are not uh, related uh, right. biologically, but I thought that was a, a coincidence. How many kids were living at your home at at one time from from? Well, the, um. Yeah, there was, there've been times like in the summer when there was about eight or 10 of us. Wow. Um, yeah. So (laughs) it was, it was a very full house, very busy, very loud, mostly girls. Um, so it's a little unusual for me to be in a space with three guys. So this is interesting (laughs) for me. (laughs) I feel like a lot of our, uh, guests say that, uh, our female guests, they're like, we, we, we've talked about us just being three straight men leading the conversations like we got to get some diversity up in here we gotta we oh gotta no get you some know i love this i actually <laughs> love it and i think you guys speak to a demographic that is um really important um my generation it's mostly women and your generation it's about 50 50 and so i think it's really lovely that the three of you found each other and are doing this it's really cool well, I had a question. So I, I also watched your uh, profile on Korean American Story, and um, you had talked about 
growing up in the household with all of these different, uh, all, all these different kids and you being the eldest kind of taking on that role, but also coming up in a non-diverse community. Um, I was wondering, as like you said, taking on this kind of leadership or almost parental role, I was wondering how, like how quickly you knew that was a position, even as a child that you were going to have to take and kind of what that experience was like leading a diverse group of kids in a non-diverse community. Wow. I am impressed with that question to be honest. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. And I've done a lot of conversations. Um, I think I knew early on, uh, I was taking care of my sister when I was in the orphanage. And so we being paired and coming to America at the same time felt like a very organic, natural fit. And um, that dynamic of me being the Anni and she being the Tongzheng never changed over time. And uh, for better or worse, it really um, enforced every other subsequent kid coming into the family, that same dynamic. Um, and so while um, I actually don't talk a lot about my growing up time in my adoptive family, but with my sisters and with my siblings, I'm pretty open. And um, I think because that dynamic between Amy and me was, was so solid, that set the tone for every subsequent kid that came into the home. And um, like any communal living, you can sense who's got the authority and who has the ear and who has um, different abilities. You kind of like fit where you need to. And so um, I think because we were such a strong pair, it set the way the, the way all the other kids kind of fell into place. Um, having said that, that was in our home under our same roof, but out in the world, as far as being in school, um, it was dog eat dog. We just survived on our own. And I think it's a big misnomer, even in my profession as an adoptee therapist, I see a lot of conversations with um, adoptees and having siblings that are non-biologically related, but all in the same family. And the idea that like, if there are more kids that are adopted, then we will be able to um, be of support to each other. But I have not always found that to be true because my story and my lived experience is different than what my sister was going through. And how could I possibly impart any information? <laughs> We're kind of going through it together and trying to figure it out. Um, I think my younger sisters who are nine years younger than me benefited from that time difference. So I was in college and I'd be like, this is the way it's going to go, guys. I can give them that warning. But I don't think that that's a luxury that every family always has. So I think that idea of like, well, we're all adopted and we're all Asian. So we have our built-in community. Not really, because we were all kind of floundering on our own. And our view of our outside world was we are a minority. We are foreigners. We are other. And that much we understood. But how to help each other navigate that, not so much. That was going to be my follow-up actually was... Did you have these conversations together after school? Because you or because you said you know it was a bond in in the in the home, but once you left, it was really kind of you're on your own in terms of survival. <laughs> when you guys came back, it seems like you were still really just figuring out individually. But did you ever have collective conversations about what was going on? I think it's only happened as we became adults. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, as yeah. we kind of started to see 
um, our family as a particular experience. Like when you go to college, you start seeing other families when you go and hang out in other people's houses. And that's when you see like, oh, those families operate that way or their relationship with their parents is this. It didn't occur to me to really question any of it until I became an adult on my own. And then as adults, we chose to be with each other. And then we would say, hey, I remember this. Do you remember this? And and so that happened more frequently as we got to be adults. Um, yeah, it's a waiting game, to be honest. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely lines up with what I've heard from other adoptees and even in my own experience. My sister and I uh, both adopted from Korea, non-biological, um, two years apart in age, four years apart in school uh, mm. because of how the birth dates fell. So we never really developed a super tight bond and then never really talked about our own individual experiences in a collective way until we were uh, in co- past college, actually. Right. So, yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that. Right. Huh. I'm in my 40s, and I don't think my sister and I have even really talked about it yet. So, you yeah. know, it's it's one of those things that uh, every family, you know, grows up differently and yeah. uh, and sees different things and has different experiences. So it's uh, the waiting game. Hear. Yeah. I mean, what is that metaphor when everyone is blindfolded and they're all touching the uh, the elephant and trying to describe what they're touching, you know? Uh, and it's yes. like no one knows that it's an elephant because one person's touching the tail and one person's touching the foot. And it, that sometimes, that I don't know, that metaphor kind of resonates with me. It's like we're all experiencing the same family constellation, same parents, same environment, and yet our lived experiences are so, so different. Yeah, we have that book. It's uh, it's something about all the different parts um, are um, individual and and don't necessarily tell the story of the whole. I guess That's or right. something like that. Yeah, yeah it's a, yeah. yeah, it's a good book. And yeah, KJ, KJ also. I don't want to speak for him, but he also has an adoptive sister as well. But I'm so. going to anyways. <laughs> I don't know if you were going to jump in on that one, KJ. I was waiting for you to say something, but, um, but uh, yeah. yes, I also have a sister who is adopted, but she's from Russia. She's not from Korea, so I think mm. that adds um, a unique flavor to it. And yeah, the same thing. Like I'm, I have this whole podcast that I'm doing, and I don't know that she has listened to an episode or has begun to really think about what it means to be she probably actually has a a stronger sense of what it means to be asian american than i did growing up um but i don't know if she cares necessarily to explore her ethnicity and ethnic heritage as uh, an asian russian you know necessarily so yeah so oh go ahead nathan no go ahead oh i was just gonna ask um growing up in that so we've talked a little bit about Growing up in that dynamic you have with your siblings and being in a non-diverse community, I was just wondering when you first, you specifically were first able to experience uh, a more diverse group of people and cultures and and things like that uh, after that time. I think it was college, which is ironic because I went to a small um, school near in Troy, near Albany, New York. And I was, I think it was, it's mostly an undergraduate school. So it was only like five or $7,000, 7,000 students. Um, I could count on one hand how many Asians there were, but there was a significant community of African-American students. And at the time that I was there, they started an African, uh, they started AFIA, which is a, a black fraternity. And, um, that became my beacon. Um, they welcomed me in. 
They educated me on language of race, identity, social justice. They made it very clear, girl, you're not white. Um, come hang with us. <laughs> and it was, it was wonderful. It was, it was so, um, it was very warm. It was very welcoming. Both the men and the women were equally like very welcoming of me realizing she doesn't really know who she is. <laughs> um, she's not like all the other Asian foreign students. And she's definitely not like the white students. We wonder if she actually knows who she is. So I really am very grateful to the black students at that school. Um, and they inspired me to start my own Asian women's sorority on campus. And um, I went all in. It was an opportunity for me to really explore my cultural identity in a very safe environment. Um, and uh, was able to cultivate an understanding of other in a, in a way that felt, um, really empowering. Um, but I also recognized the limitations of what they could provide me, which is they're not Asian. And, um, at that time it was only a few years after the LA riots. And so they, the students were going through a reckoning of their own about how they feel about the Asian American community and the Korean American community specifically. So there were definitely spaces that I was not welcome in. And so really just understanding that nuance of who am I? Um, and now as a much older adult, really landing in that space of, I am a woman of color and this is what it looks and feels like. And um, taking ownership of that identity has actually taken a lot longer than I thought but I am very grateful for the platform and the foundation that the black students at my undergraduate school gave me. What was the, what was it like starting your own uh, sorority uh, for um, having I, like my own, my own uh, insecurity? I was like, geez, I <laughs> could not have done that in college if I had just discovered, Oh dip, I'm Asian American. And then, and then well, that's what I was like. Let's have a meeting yeah, and then no uh, one shows up and you're like, because oh. yeah. I experienced that a year ago and yeah. there are people who listen to the show who are like, KJ, we can't wait for like the community group to start in Dallas. I'm like, I'm not ready to take that step yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is a combination of, um, my personality. I, I think you've read in my bio, I've, I've started lots of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I like creating community. It is the space that I feel most comfortable in in that um, being able to create a space where I can just kind of um, meld into the background and create this thing for others is one of the biggest sources of joy for me. And so it really became a thing of like, I'm curious, how do you wear a handbook? I'm curious, how do you do a fan dance? I'm curious on how do you sing this song? And I would just ask people and they would say, we want to help you. I think being an adoptee, um, stripped any sense of pride <laughs> I had in my identity. So I was completely humble and said, I want to learn. And there were a couple of international students from Korea who were happy to teach me as much as they possibly wanted to. Um, and so it, I'm, uh, it, that's, that's how I started it. And I, and I became friends with, um, several women and I said, Hey, you know, what do you think? And they were like, sure. Let's try it. Let's meet other Korean women in SUNY Binghamton and see what they have to say and can they help us? And it was really just each each step was um, uh, an, an, an adventure for me to say, well, what more can I learn? Um, and I, because I knew I wasn't going to learn it at home. I wasn't going to learn it anywhere else. And this was a perfect opportunity. And 
I don't know why I did it. I can't believe I did that now that I think about it because like the audacity in me to mm-hmm. know that I could choreograph a fan dance all by myself was like, who are you? Um, but I had other girls who were like, well, let's watch a video and let's see if we can do it. And, you know, the audience is mostly white Americans, so they didn't know whether we were doing it right or not. They're not going to know. Not- they don't know. No one's going to be like, mm, that, that that one move, not really it's traditionally Korean, you know. So the stakes were really low. The approval was not, you know, sought after. It was just an internal pleasure. I was like, mm. I just want to see if I can do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of been my approach to everything. But I will also add that I came here when I was six years old. So even though I um, did not embrace my culture growing up, I look at that as an act of protection and survival. But when I was free to explore who I am, I knew I was Korean American. I always knew I was Korean American. I always knew I was Korean. Um, I just didn't know how to be Korean. Mm. And so learning that was important. That's interesting. I... Um, so you're, I think, I mean, you're up there in terms of like how old you were when you were adopted. Like yes. we, most of the people that we talk to are babies or maybe two or three, um, certainly don't have any memories. And so, um, in your, in the story that you shared on Korean American story.org, mm-hmm. um, and their archival legacy project, right. That you kind of talk about having some of those memories about coming over and, and I don't want to rehash that, but I am curious, um, so we've been going through this book that like teaches us Korean culture in a really fun way. Um, and just from what I have gleaned from, you know, the cultural pop psychology of child development um, that like having five years in Korea and I think being, being able to establish yourself and, and being raised in like that highly Confucianist environment, I'm must've um, been formative in a, in a unique way, right. Where most of us were, um, removed from that environment quicker. And so maybe think of ourselves more as, um, American and then wrestle with like, you know, depending on how, how we were raised, uh, ethnically Korean, or we just don't talk about it or, or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, how did all of those things play and, and what were the conversations like for you growing up, um, with the balance of being adopted versus being Korean um, and that the reckoning between those identities of like ethnically you're Korean. And so like, this is a culture that we want you to explore versus like, well, you're adopted and that's what this means for like our family dynamic uh, with the added complexity of having foster international and domestic foster children in and out of your home. So probably say more about my family than need be, but not much. A Mm. lot of my exploration was as an adult on my own. Um, And I think also, in fairness, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. Mm. Um, I was put in Korean language class and language school when I came to America to retain what I had. And I did not like it. I didn't want to be there. I made it very clear I did not want to be there. I I was put in first grade a month after I came to the U.S. And I was determined to speak English. So there was not going to be a lot of will on my part to retain my Korean, to retain my Koreanness at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where the adoption part comes in is, I wouldn't say it was a healthy approach. I wouldn't recommend it. But that idea of being an orphan was reinforced. And that just became fuel 
for me. It just became a driving fuel. Um, it became a source of ambition of like, I am going to succeed mm. no matter what. Well, that makes a lot of sense in the context of when you got to college and had that freedom and why you just kind of ran with starting this Asian sorority, starting to really just dive into not only your own culture and heritage, but also being accepted by the black sorority and fraternity and, and students that were there and diving into that culture and really immersing yourself. I was going to ask because I, I, again, like those, those experiences you talked about, those memories and um, things that you kind of kept internally from your six years in Korea. Uh, how much did you feel like, like looking back now, how much did you feel like you were drawing or either consciously or subconsciously off of those kind of implicit memories uh, in order to kind of go in the direction that you were going once you got to college. But I think you kind of answered it because you said it was fuel. It was a, it yeah. was a type of fuel. Right. My lived memories of Korea was my orphanage. And so sure. I think any of us who have lived memories of our life in the orphanage want to be as far away from that experience as possible for the rest of our lives. Right. Um, and uh so yeah that that would be probably a good politically correct answer to that question <laughs> i like nice. the navigation there i like yeah. that yeah thank you and thank then, you and then can you explain a little bit i mean with the what you've already said makes sense too that you are just always looking for information and for more um you know um expansion of your knowledge uh, what drove you to go to korea and actually live there yeah so I did want to go into the Peace Corps, actually. And um, so that I did go through the process of trying to get into the Peace Corps. But, um, you know, this opportunity, I wrote a letter to my orphanage and said, I'd like to come and stay. I'd like to volunteer. And they had never heard. There were only about 25 of us that were adopted from this particular orphanage. And I'm the only one that went back. And they were like, sure. They didn't really know what to do. They have zero expectation of what that would look like <laughs> at all. And I, I, you know, use the word volunteer very loosely. I think that that was a seminal learning experience for me. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what the other people got out of that experience. Um, I would say that I have long-term relationships with several of the kids who are now adults, who are now parents, who live in Korea, who have aged out. Um, and I think that's why Glenn Morey's project um, hit so personal for me in his quest to really get the, the, the dichotomy of stories for those of us who are adopted and those who aged out. Um, and so, um, yeah, that, that year was sure come and let's see what happens. And, um, I just lived there and I just asked questions and, pass the English to Korean, Korean English dictionary back and forth, trying to talk to all of the kids and hear their stories. And sure, I tried to teach them English and transliterate a Mariah Carey song or two. And, um, you know, like I, I baked for them. The yes. Yeah. I, I, I figured out how to bake cookies in, you know, because at that time at, at my orphanage, they were still making rice outside in those iron cast iron with a fire pit, like the six-year-old girls, seven-year-old girls knew how to make rice from that. And so I was like, hmm, let me see if I can make cookies, you know? Um, and so, you know, I think it really was more an experience for me than it was for them. Mm -hmm. And it was um, a wonderful experience just to 
lives a what if, what if I wasn't adopted, I'd still be in this orphanage, you know? Right. Um, and yeah, that, that Amazing. was an incredible experience. Yeah. And then during that time while you were there is when you found out about your uh, biological mother. Yes. As well. And so right. that was from a private detective. That's right. That, so can you go over that a little bit? Cause that, that's a fascinating story. Oh, yeah. Man, I heard that. Yeah. I mean, it just so happened that one of my undies happened to answer the phone instead of the office staff. And I think there were a lot of phone calls actually. I had found out I had, yeah, I found out later on that there might have been some reports or an article in the newspaper about an American who came back, but I didn't read the newspaper, so I didn't know. So apparently the orphanage had gotten a lot of phone calls of birth parents coming forward saying, that could be my daughter. Is that my daughter? Mm. Um, and one of them was my birth mother. Wow. And um, she was relentless. She <laughs> called all the time. And it just so <laughs> happened that somebody else answered the phone. And um, she was also privy to information that um, obviously all the other calls were false because she knew that my name had been changed, my birth date had been changed. So um, again, retroactively, I learned that there was somebody at the orphanage or someone connected to the orphanage who mysteriously wrote her letters over time. Just kind of doing updates. So when my parents would send a Christmas card with pictures, they would send an update about what we were doing. So she had little markers of like when I graduated high school and I was dancing ballet and Interesting. little things like that. Um, and so whoever it was that took compassion on her um, desire to connect with me also told her that my name and birth date was changed. Um, so... I thought that was interesting because that wasn't I, because I'm my adoption was so unusual. I don't have any paperwork. I have letters that were correspondence between the director and my parents. Um, and so meeting her feels like there was obviously other people, other, other wins mm -hmm. impacting or mm -hmm. influencing that reunion. I did not go to Korea with the intention to find or, or seek actually. Yeah. Um, so it was her tenacity, really. Yeah, it's so interesting that you went and that you essentially just stumbled into meeting your birth family. Yeah. Uh, what a what a privilege <laughs> and unique situation. And there I are know. so many other adoptees so who are like, work so hard at trying, you know, and just don't hear back. And yeah, it. I don't think I could ever cease to be amazed by just the diversity in stories and experiences of, yeah. of CADs. And I haven't even, that's not even looking outside of Korean adoptees, right? But, that's right. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's wild. So I really encourage our listeners uh, to go and we'll link this in our show notes, but to go and watch uh, Joy, your, the rest of your story. It's the way that it's told um, is really moving and, and you um, are so gracious with your vulnerability in, in telling what that story is like. Uh, that's the Korean American story.org. Uh, legacy archive project. I don't know that whole thing. Like I said, it'll be linked in our show notes, but one of the things that you said, yeah. Oh, in... can I also say, I also, oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't intentionally do this, but I also, um, was interviewed by Glenn in his side by side project. Oh, perfect. And so my intersectionality with Glenn has been one of the most profound relationships to have one, because I feel like I have an Opa finally. And, um, <laughs> you know, and so just, no longer his, the yes, I love his, I love his project. And, um, you know, later on, I'll, I'll be able to tell you more about some of the collaboration that Glenn and I are doing. But yeah. um, so 
the full story is queenamericanstory.org and also side by side. I Good. had the privilege of being able to share my story twice. Because after I watched that common. one, I was like, oh, I want more. I, I did because because <laughs> it, it ended at the end of the, the story. And I was like, uh, I, can't, I can't remember exactly. I was like, oh, wait, there's so many more things that I was like, <laughs> I'm sure that could be told and stuff. So now definitely have to watch uh, um, Glenn's uh, mm-hmm. um, story of you there yeah, on side by side. So thank you. Um, Thanks. One of the things I do remember from your your story that you started mentioning that uh, you know one thing that you had a similar laugh uh, mm. as your mother, mm-hmm. and that you asked your mom uh, about her feet mm-hmm. and the size of her shoe. I thought that was very funny, and uh, those are things that when I first met my biological family, that I had very similar feelings for because I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's you that biological. Yeah, well, it's not the foot <laughs> size. It's just. Things like I have a dimple in the back of my ear uh, on okay. both ears. Uh-huh. Like, I was like, "Does any of my siblings have dimplings in the back of their ear?" Yes. Um, you know, I was always I was looking for similarities, biological similarities that I've never seen yes. before um, because I've never seen anyone that looked like me. And I, uh, that was some of the first questions I had as well. And we joke on the show a little bit about how when my brother was here visiting, um, we were walking together uh, in California, and my my sister and, and uh, his wife walking behind us and they're like oh my gosh they walk the same and so true <laughs> so we had the similar totally. like just yeah. walk and it was just a funny thing that that i'll always remember and we look at each other and we're like oh yeah i guess we're both bow-legged and we're both like <laughs> have this thing so uh yeah. so yeah i really related to that that comment i thought that was really great that you added that in there yeah 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 i thought it was so lovely and just so uh honest and like deeply human that's like i don't know i didn't know what to ask and then he's like what what's your foot size like that's, you know like i think that it's there's a, such a girl question right can we share <laughs> shoes was the essence of that question well that was actually a question that i had because you talked about having to change out of your clothes to meet your mom and you were wearing a pair of doc martens and the whole time i was listening to your interview i was like when you got to that part of the story i was like you should have brought your Doc Martens. I'm like, did you bring your Doc Martens for your mom to try on? Like, to, to walk around in? like that's, a, so that's what I was thinking. That was that was yeah. funny. Yeah. But I mean, even now I send her shoes. You know, because I know oh, it'll fit. You're like, that's oh, amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so one of the the phrases that stuck out to me in that interview um was in your time volunteering, working with the orphanage, etc. Um, you what I heard you say, and I don't remember verbatim, um, but like you, you became Korean, right? And I think that you alluded to this a little bit, right? And and that you got to explore some of the the what if, right? What if you weren't adopted, and 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 those things. But I'm curious now, if enough time has passed, or you had enough conversation, if you can um, articulate in any form what that threshold looks like for you. Um, mm-hmm. Like, was there a moment, or do you have any of the language? It's like, oh, this was the this is the thing and I, I feel Korean and you know, that means X, Y, and Z. Can you put any language to that? Or is it just an abstract? Like, I don't know. My heart just told me I was Korean. now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know if I can replicate that feeling from the time I was living in Korea, but to answer your question specifically, I had my first dream in Korean. Mm. Ooh. And that was maybe, four or five years ago. I've been watching so many Korean dramas. Eventually it would make it in there. Um, But it was a really interesting dream. 
Mm. Um, and it was clearly just uh, just remembering the top, the notes of the dream in that um, there was a baby that was being diaper changed in a bathroom, and but everything was in Korean, and I was speaking in Korean. I and the the women were speaking in Korean, and I woke up like, wow. It's happened. I have hit the threshold. I have crossed the bridge between English, <laughs> Korean, Korean, English, and it's flowing in a way that I never, ever anticipated. So the fact that it made it into an actual dream, I felt like, oh, maybe that portal that I had closed tightly so for so long was beginning to loosen and mm-hmm. open up a little bit. I mean, I have to say that, um, you know, for an adoptee to learn how to speak Korean is so so hard <laughs> it's so so hard yeah. and so i think that um you know I, I i have to admit i got some privilege out of it because i was speaking korean for the first six years of my right. life it, it wasn't just baby talk i was speaking in korean um i didn't go to school in korea but i was i was very verbose and so that 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 foundation is in there somewhere in me and so i i know that it my ability to to kind of learn how to speak. Once that portal opened, it grew very quickly and my comprehension grew very quickly. Um, so I think that that would, be, that would be a moment that I could probably target. So would it be fair to say that like, certainly a major marker, not the only marker, but the major marker of Koreanness for you is language and that. Yeah. That kind of, which makes sense yeah. then just like having spent so long yeah. a year in Korea yeah, um, and like being so immersed in it that you were like, oh yeah, that, that thing broke through. That makes sense. Right. I think for me, um, you know, one of the things I think that I, I've taken in my own journey and in, in doing the podcast and, and exploration uh, with these guys especially is, you know, that kind of the mix of language and culture and, and kind of understanding those things side by side. But I think one of the, the clear markers for me uh, will be not only the ability to speak, but to make jokes in Korean. Uh, uh-huh. that, that I will uh, so understand the culture well enough and like how Korean friends will think and, and expect me to be that then I can make jokes that, you know, that uh, that would imply not necessarily because you don't have to be fluent in a language to make a joke. Right. But that would imply a fluency in, of culture that I think right. would be an important threshold for me to be like, oh, I've, I've really made it here, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's interesting. I was just curious if you could um, explain that. So. Um, Kind of continuing in the same thread of uh, identity and, and thresholds and things, one of the other things that you said in that interview was uh, that you identify as a Korean-American adoptee, that those three words are really uniquely tied together. Right? And, and in the interview, you, you know, you um, candidly, albeit briefly, wrestle with like, maybe I don't love that adoptee is always attached to Korean-American, mm. um, but it's there nonetheless. Um, so you said uh, something, you said you worked really hard for the identities to be seamless. Um, can you explain more about what seamlessly moving through Korean American adoptee means for you and looks like for you? I think like your joke, to be able to land a joke in a space that is not just adoptee centric mm. um, would be really awesome. Mm. To be able to sit in a room full of Korean women and understand, oh, they're talking about how to get their kid to college and they're joking and they're talking about their partners and 
they're swapping drinks and recipes, like that speed in which they're able to switch from subject to subject to subject, instead of me constantly like, what, what, what? Mm. Um, and just going with the conversation, even if I don't say anything at all, I feel like inside I'm doing this like happy dance, like I understand what's happening yeah, here. Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and also like who's to be able to know who is in kinship with, like which mom is friends friendlier which one speaks panmar? Which one does tundanmar? Which one is like jab, jab? And which one, like, uh, be able to see that because... Um, Raise your nunchi level. Right, because language <laughs> is so intricately connected to culture in Korea. And it's so hierarchical to listen to who speaks in different ways to each other already gives you indication of proximity that just knowing how the words will never let you know what's going on. Um, who is more comfortable with my adoption identity and who is not feels really important to me to be able to suss out. Um, and, um, when somebody says, oh, they're so tucky, they're so kind. Are they being kind because I'm a more American and I can give them something? Right. Or are they kind because they truly see me as a person, as another mommy that they could talk to? Mm. And being able to suss all of that feels like that's the that's the stream of water that flows through really easily. Yeah. When that happens, it's very magical. It doesn't happen often, but it does sometimes. <laughs> I can't wait to have that moment. I don't know if I'll ever come for me, but <laughs> I yeah. love the way you describe that. Manifest that, it, bro. That, that, yeah. 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 We've already put it out there in the universe, Patrick. It's that's done. true. That is true. It's done. Um, <laughs> So on this theme of identity, that's was going to be kind of going off of this question of the seamlessness between the three. I'm wondering, you know, we've talked a lot about or we talk a lot about on the show how we come, how we as adoptees come to understand ourselves, either as, as the racial side of ourselves or the adoptee identity or even balancing all three of those with like or those two with the American identity. When did you start to move in and through adoptee specific spaces that were not that were not or just outside of uh specifically like korean spaces like when were you first starting to engage the adoptee community and you realized oh this is something that i need to be a part of as well so i went to grad school for social work i knew i wanted to work in adoption um, so my first job was the Evan B. Donaldson Adoption Institute, which then became the Adoption Institute. It's not there anymore. Um, but uh, I believe there was a domestic adoptee also on the team of like, I think there were only six women on the team. Um, and the first conference I went to, first adoption trade conference, if you will, um, I, I got to meet all these domestic adoptees that were white adoptees into white, adopted into white families, um, mixed race adoptees, biracial adoptees, adopted into white families, black families, and none of them were inter-country adoptees. And so I'm listening to them swap stories and talk and seamlessly talk about the last time they saw their birth mother and a letter they got, or can you read this research article I wrote about XYZ and babies in utero and do they understand like it was all these different things and uh, none of which I had ever th thought about and um it was a really wonderful education for me to realize 
I could get really hung up on my being Asian American adoptee, but like actually they already have the formative language. Again, they have the language. They have been talking about this for at least 20 more years than I have. And so just being in that space of just other adoptees was really powerful for me. Um, and the cultural component was not as, it, it wasn't discussed at all, but the adoption part of it, the feeling other, the feeling of loyalty, the feeling of grief and loss and making sense of different socioeconomic strata, class issues. I was like, oh yeah, I could, I, yes, that all resonates with me too, right? Um, sometimes, you know, that's actually more important to get that part of it in some semblance of order so that we can make room to understand more about the cultural conflicts that happen. So there are times when, when, when I'm in spaces and then listen to adoptees talking about their birth parents and it's an intercountry adoptee, I often hear it as a cultural reconciliation conversation and less about an adoption related conversation. And that is partially because my foundation was working and talking among domestic adoptees and realizing, oh, they have the same thing. They just use different language for it. Pretty amazing. I've never actually thought of it that way as, as far as um, the conferences goes. I've always considered Korean adoption conferences as one of my first conferences because I would love to see, um, you know, similarities in the culture and in the adoption space. Um, but I never thought of it as far as the more connection on the adoption only first and less about the cultural part of it, because that is essentially what I'm looking for is, is more about that information. And the cultural stuff is, you know, reading and um, doing research, learning the language, eating, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's a, a really, a really going to second guess myself now on potentially future conferences for that reason mm. uh, that you just mentioned. So that, thank you for that. That's something uh, um, I'm going to have to look into. Can you share a little bit about the work you've done in the adoptee space since having that first conference and realizing, okay, I gotta, I gotta be talking about this. And I went to college for this too. So let's talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> so yeah, what, yeah. What, what, share, share with us a little bit. I know a little bit about some of the work you've been doing, um, but tell us a little bit more about all of that and what that experience and journey has been like for you. So um, 1999 was the first international Korean adoptee gathering. And 1999 happened to be the year that I was at the Institute and the Institute was tapped to do a survey of all of the participants. And I got to write the survey because nice. I was an employee there. I was also a founding member of also known as, which was the other sponsor along with Holt International. And um, so as a chronology, I was first a member of also known as, which was founded by Holly McGinnis. And her, um, one of the interests in that, in creating that organization was to create a mentorship program. And since I was becoming a social worker, I really was keen on the mentorship program. So I said, I'll help you with that part. I really like that idea of giving back to the younger generation and giving role models and p other people to be um, beacons for the future in the adoptee community. And so I was working on creating the mentorship program and also working at the Institute, um, analyzing the data that came from over, what, 250 participants who filled out the survey. It at, just so happens it's the first survey that 
that we finally asked the adoptees, what was your lived experience like? And so that was a very foundational part of my education. And then, um, you know, I stayed connected with also known as for many years. It was the, the side passion project that consumed a lot of my time. Um, all of the founding members, we were very, very deeply involved, but we became our own sub, like our own family, really. You know, we became each other's support and being among, um, you know, at that time there were about seven women, all Korean adoptees, and we really would, we would hang out. We would do celebrations and we, we became like sister friends, you know. Um, and then I worked also an adoption agency because I really wanted to understand how did I get here? And so I realized the only way I would, uh, would understand how I got here was to actually go through the process of understanding the home study, the adoption process. I got it from like a macro level at the Institute, from a policy level, but I wanted it like boots on the ground. So I worked at a private adoption agency. Um, I didn't last very long there, I'll be honest. Um, but a, a position opened up in the post-adoption department where I got to work with the kids once they came home. And um, I ended up there for about four years and I learned a lot about child development. I learned a lot about institutionalized care, the impact of institutionalization on children. Um, I did a lot of home visits, working with families as they just became newly adopted families and working with the kids. And I realized this is the thing I love the most is to work with the kids. Um, and so I went back and got more training to become a therapist. Um, and training really just looked like doing a lot of sessions for free, a lot of hours, <laughs> spending a lot of time with up uh, with adoptees and helping them navigate and cultivate a story. Um, I feel like, you know, I got to do that through a through also known as speaking on a lot of panels and speaking in front of a lot of adoptive parents who just wanted to understand my story. And in 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 kind of like creating that narrative, I was I, I realized that as an adoptee, I had um, the privilege of being able to help other adoptees create that narrative. And I often say to my clients, "I'm actually just a little bit ahead of you. That's all. I don't know everything about adoption, um, and what I don't know, I want to explore with you. But I just think of my story and my position in the community as somebody who's just like." the word sensing name, somebody just a little ahead of you, you know? And so that was how I've always kind of um, approached the work that I do. Um, in the work that I did, I realized I was having the same conversations over and over and over again, where adoptees were asking very similar questions and asking like, am I the only one that thinks this way? And in my head, I'm like cataloging, actually, no. You're like the 60th person. And and I realized you can, you can there's see no... see my Rolodex. Yes, yes. I, I wanted it, some sort of a resource for the community to kind of start to realize that there are certain themes in our lives. You know, Glenn and I have been talking about the roadmap of the adopted life and different developmental milestones that we hit. Um, and it doesn't really coincide with chronological age. And um, that's where I'm adopted kind of began to be born was thinking about this, how do I get all this information that's in my head out to the world in a way that is feeling like I see you, 
I see, I see the journey we're all on and how do I, as a mental health professional and my peers who are mental health professionals who um, get to have these really intimate conversations with adoptees, how do we start creating um, information, resources, stories, um, just to help our community begin to formulate what it means to be who we are. Um, so that's my other passion project is I am adoptee. And the other project that I do is a one week sleepaway camp for Korean adoptees and American born Korean kids. And it's, um, called Sejong Camp. It's in New Jersey. It's co-directed with Ben Kim Ozer, who is also a Korean adoptee. And, um, it was originally founded 26 years ago, uh, by a white adoptive parent after the LA riots, um, but it has morphed to really being the full lived experience of what it means to be Korean American, whereby the adoptee is part and parcel integrated within the community of being Korean American. And so now we have adoptees, we have children of adoptees, we have mixed race Korean Americans, we have American born Korean kids, and um, we talk about adoption. It's a seamless part of the conversation Half our counselors are adoptees, half our counselors are American Koreans, um, and all of our teachers are, you know, again, either Korean adoptees or children of adoptees, and really giving a safe space for a week for kids to really um, stand strong in their Korean American identity. Uh, I think a lot, of, I don't know if you guys know, realize this or, or ever experience it, like as adoptees, we get fed a lot of information about traditional Korean culture. And what I think I love about your show is you appreciate the tradition, but you're American. And so, you know, what does that mean to live in America as a Korean person, as a Korean body? And that's not the same thing as being able to do a fan dance or follow drumming or do Taekwondo, you know, it's, it's this, it's, we have a very, very different history here. Um, and so that's the, part that I really like being able to capture at camp. Well, really quickly, is Sejong Camp named after King Sejong? Yes, sir. Nice. Nice. Book coming into play. <laughs> I've learned one thing on the show. All right. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well, I could say I really appreciate you, you saying that about our show um, because I think one of the unique things about the show is that not only was it started during the pandemic and we don't know each other, but we really came together because we wanted to explore and celebrate our multiple identities. But we also came together during a, I really don't know what else to call it, but other than like a severe racial reckoning within this country. And we're, and for me personally, uh, this was the first, this last year was the first time I ever started to think of myself really as an Asian American or as an Asian man or Korean. And then mm -hmm. not only that, but then to realize that oh, I'm an adoptee, a word I'd never heard for 30 years and trying to figure out how, like, what, how do I even navigate that? You know, without this show, I don't know if I would have been able to do any of those things. You know, I don't, because the most beautiful thing I think about all of the communities that I've been very privileged to find myself in now over the past year is that I've been very accepted uh, into them. And for 30 years, I felt like I was not accepted anywhere. And I could not find the acceptance that I was really looking for because I didn't know what, and I didn't know what it was that I was looking for. Um, so for you to say that about the show, I think it, it, that really touches me and, and makes me feel, it 
makes me feel good just knowing that, you know, we are exploring it a little bit differently. And I say that because as listeners of the show will know, uh, I can get very fanboyish of the people that have come before us. Uh, yourself, Glenn, uh, J-Ron, um, Sujin Pate, people that have laid the foundation. And I think that's something that I've discovered for myself uh, during this time and reading about the history of adoption, specifically inter-country adoption. You know, we're in a renaissance right now, the adoptee voice, uh, adoptees coming out of the woodwork, us three included, to share and tell their story and reclaim all of that. And I think something that I'm hoping to see more of is um, the acknowledgement of the of the generations of adoptees that have come here first, who had nothing to build off of, and then built what we are now building off of here. So that was all to say, I'm very, <laughs> I've been holding my fanboy boyness in for the whole interview. And I just wanted to say, exploding out, exploding of him. out. I'm very, this has <laughs> for, just been a really, yes, this has been a very oh, wow. incredible conversation. And I just feel really, really, really honored and humbled that you're given, that you gave us this time or you've given us this time so far tonight to have this conversation because we can't have enough of, I think the intergenerational conversations where we can really start to come together and, and specifically tying together with camp Sage or the Sejong camp and how you guys have built an all inclusive community. You know, that's what I want to do. That's something that I am really big on and, and wanting to be a part of. So to be so able I'm to have this conversation, maybe this podcast needs to come to camp next year. <laughs> hey, hey, we're trying, we're trying to find out where we can go and, and yeah, if physical absolutely. spaces we can inhabit. So, yeah, but th- th- I that's all I wanted to say. A long story, long way you. to say thank you for 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 everything you've thank done. Thank you. Yes. I, I I really appreciate that. Um, I was nervous to come <laughs> meet you guys, so thank you. Thanks, so thank you very much. I think yeah. one of the things that the Patrick says, and and that I've also like as we've been doing this and have had the privilege of meeting adoptees who are newer to the journey, is um, you know that that there is really a strong sense of um, filial piety. Uh, that exists in in Korean culture in in Yu-Gi-Oh, but uh, across adoptees. And so, you know, where adoptees feel so isolated and feel uniquely um, separated from their cultural identity, from their uh, racial identity in America or wherever in the world they happen to be, right? That um, the people like you and Glenn and Sujin and others um, become for us through their writings, through their works, through things like the I Am Adoptee Project, uh, cultural opas and nunas and songting nims, right? And then in turn, we have the privilege of them being able to to be that ourselves, you know, um, for whatever it's like, you can't, you know, like what you said earlier, like you can't really say the next generation because somebody could be starting their journey at 60, like Glenn did. That's or somebody right. could start totally. their journey at 15 and you're like, whoa, you're so far <laughs> ahead of me, you know? And, Absolutely. You know, so it's just, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I've, I have walked the path for some amount of time uh, and I'm happy to help you for as long as I can. Um, you know, KJ, you pretty much answered your own question. You had asked me earlier about that seamlessness, right? Mm. And I don't know, you guys, I like I snuck in a lot of Korean words in this conversation and <laughs> nobody asked any questions. You all went with it. So, hello, here's the seamless. Yeah, that's I hadn't even thought about I... that. <laughs> Definitely recognizing the Korean words that you've thrown out. So, but I didn't even think about that. Thanks to the book. Thank you, Korean <laughs> yeah, Culture Dictionary, for helping me. Yeah. Out. No, I mean we. I saw each other nod when you when you said uh, Janmal and Banmal. We, we all, <laughs> oh yeah, Patrick was very yeah, excited like, to learn. Mm-hmm. He was like, "I know those words." Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> no, we we have learned a lot over these last six, seven months of doing this podcast, and it is part of our journey to become more Korean as well. And um, but it's it's you know it's pioneers like yourself who have done all this other work too. The you know the projects and stuff that uh, is why I think Patrick is also fanboying is because um, we you know do want to thank you and others that have been doing it. And uh, um, yeah, we really appreciate it. Also, we've been doing Thank the show you. for 10 months. I don't know where the now. six or seven is coming from. but yeah. We've been uh, doing this show for approximately 1,000 months. Um, you're right. Uh-huh, it is almost uh-huh. our one year. I, I should have I should have back calculated. I, I'm looking it. to you. I'm, to, I'm very much looking to you, Atoll. That, that, that would be fun. That's yeah, going to be fun our, to listen the, to. Our little uh, Doljanchi will be an interesting event. We're, we're excited about it. But, uh, but we're also excited to do, um, you know, our eating portion of the food show, oh, which yes. is, uh, you know, what we show. are uh, probably going to move on now. But before we do that, can, where can people find you? I know you mentioned I Am Adoptee, um, and I, I do want to mention that's IamAdoptee.org, correct? Yes, um, that's correct. So, yeah, what other places can um, people find you? Yeah, my two loves is IamAdoptee.org and SejongUSA.org. Um, those are the two organizations. Um, I'm really excited about I Am Adoptee. Uh, it is a, a space that we are trying to um, impart as much wisdom as we possibly can to help our community better understand their wellness, their mental health. Um, and Glenn and I have uh, created a collaboration. He's very generously um, joined me in a project that we're ready to launch probably in about a month. So I'm really excited mm. to um, share, share with everybody that our Instagram handle is I am adoptee. Uh, so please follow that. And I think we're also, on, yeah, we're also on Facebook, but Instagram seems to be the place that a lot of young folks tend to the Gen Z. The Gen Zers are over there. Yeah. Yeah. And TikTok, I guess. Yes. Uh, I'm not uh, TikTok ready at all. <laughs> TikTok is just so much either. like, I already feel like Instagram is a lot of work and TikTok is even more work. So yeah. I'm just yeah. not ready. I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. I still don't. He says while he launches his own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What I love about I Am Adoptee is that it is not me. It is a collaboration with so many other adoptees Um, from the front end and the back end. Everything that you see on the website is created by and for us. So our designer is a Korean adoptee, is a a Chinese adoptee. Our Instagram um, volunteer and social media volunteer is a Chinese adoptee. Um, My my assistant is a Korean adoptee, Whitney. I mean, everybody that works on it, all the contributors, all the writers are adoptees as well. So it really is for and by us. Fantastic. Well, um, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will be jumping in with a food or drink item, which we will discuss about during our the break. break. <laughs> all right. Kaja, let's go. <laughs> We are back with our food portion of the John Chi Show. We just had an amazing uh, discussion with Joy Lieberthal Rowe, and thank you again for for all of that. We now get to try something that I have had before at a Korean restaurant. Patrick has never had before. I've never had it out of a can, though, so this could be completely... Yeah, this is a first for me, too. This could be completely good or bad, honestly, so (laughs) I don't know. Have you had this, KJ? No, I have not. You've never uh, had this either. Okay. Yeah, so oh. interesting. Really so Joy and I briefly talked b- 
before. Um, I've had this at a Korean restaurant, but I did not know what it was called. And when she and she in, in our email responded, uh, you know, Su Jung Hwa, and I was like, "What? What is that?" And I had to go look to see if that's what it was called. So, uh, is is that since, since you both speak Korean and know some words, is this is that what that means? Sweet cinnamon punch. I'm hoping that's what it means. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I was under know. the impression that well, so that I was I'm literally pulling up a translator to type. Okay, it in, good. But, um, yeah. Okay. I so Sujong. The version of the word, I don't obviously don't know the hanja with it, but the sujong means crystal, as far as I know. So I don't know if adding gua implies, uh, what is it? Right, because dates is tetsu. And that's a date, clearly, on the can. Sujong gua as a whole word means fertilization. Oh, okay. Birak. Right. B. I also nope, would have could have never told is. you what a date looks like and would not have known that that's what that was. Is that what yeah. you said? I'm pretty a date? sure that's a Well, date. I'm curious because it's also one of the things that's in an ingredient is dried persimmons. Uh which yes, is, that's true which too. is another word that I looked up that was uh God, what is persimmon? Um come. Come? Yeah, there's come. A, there was a yeah. I think there was another word that I saw that was dried or something like that too. Oh, I, okay. Well, right. I typed in Bidak Sujangwa into Google Translate. With a space, it means fertilization and. And without <laughs> a space, it means fertilization department. So <laughs> I feel like we're missing something here. Right. Gua is a is a is a an and. Like so we, oh, no, it's a gua. With a no, wa, nah. So anyways, the English says sweet cinnamon punch, and the French says punch de la cannelle, I think. So there's lots of languages. This is made by Paldo, Fun and Yum. Yeah. Their uh, brand. And it's a tiny can. It's, it uh, is a very tiny can. 238 like a, milliliters for all reminds of me of the who use the metric system. Uh, and in America, it's like a half of a normal sized can. Yeah, it's like the ones you get on the, those short flights back in the day, the little mini airplanes. Yeah, yeah. They That's give you like right. a half can. So, yeah. so as we all pop right. these open, um, it's for a shake well. Joy and shake Nathan, well. who have drank this before, is this a, is this a bowl? On the can, or is this supposed to be a cup? Do you drink this out of a cup, or do you drink it out of a bowl? So, in the restaurants I've gotten to, it's always in a little glass bowl with mm. um, pine nuts on top. Well, that makes sense. Interesting. Then. This is an mm. accurate picture. I feel like there you go. Mine has always been in a metal cup. So oh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Did you get the pine nuts too? No, I don't think there was any pine nuts in it. Oh. Yeah, have you had this though? Well, so that was. <laughs> oh, I might not have had. That was this. the Maybe only I'm way actually... that. It yeah, that so was the nice. only way that I could distinguish um, sujonghua and shikke. Shikke had rice and sujonghua had pine nuts. That's never mind that this is red and the other one was clear. Yeah. But, Ooh, well, yeah. let's try it. This smells like Excited. a can of big red. The big red? What? I don't think it's going to be spicy cinnamon. Oh, I thought it was more has, sweet, oh. sweet cinnamon, uh, right? I don't know if I like it. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I should have tried it first so I didn't see your face. No, I love it. I think I. I think it's great, but I'm also a fan of cinnamon, so mm. not as not as oh, bad as nice. I thought it was going to be. It's I thought it was going to be worse. Yeah, yeah. it hits honest. like artificial cinnamon, but it tastes more like real cinnamon. Yeah, yeah. really yes. confusing because I don't right, I can't stand the... artificial cinnamon flavor. Like right, the after whiskeys flavor, or the hot tamales. Or oh whatever, yeah, I hate tam- hot you know, tamales. And... Yeah, like none of that. So it hits, but it hits like that to me. Yeah, but then it like it smooths out and is a really nice kind of cinnamon flavor. So. The aftertaste is much nicer than the initial taste. 
Yeah. So it's like it keeps keeps me coming back and then just slaps me in the face every time I drink it. So I don't know. That's where it's at. Yeah, I definitely. I'm don't. so tempted to just put this in a bowl and ah. drink it. <laughs> the <laughs> idea authentic. of a can feels it does. Should this be Less cold? Authentic. Are y'all drinking this cold? Or are you drinking warm. it warm? I, I I refrigerated mine, so okay. I yeah, put mine in the smart. fridge. Yeah, I literally so, yeah. just I opened my box of stuff yeah. that Nathan <laughs> sent me that I received <laughs> two <laughs> weeks ago. It could be like a tea now. Think of it like a yeah, hot Nathan, tea. Yeah, Nathan, I think this is served in the summer, isn't it? Yeah, it this is. is more of a summer thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, is it served cold or is it served hot? No, it's served cold. Yeah, okay. I've always had ice in mine too. Okay. But um, I feel like I this think is it tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll. Fireball. But yeah, mm. alcohol liquid beverage. cinnamon roll. Oh, actually, yeah. If you want to <laughs> mix right. it, throw this with a little fireball, and you got yourself a, a yeah. You're right. A summer cinnamon cocktail. Surprise. <laughs> oh yeah. Yikes! 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 <laughs> a little it double feels, cinnamon. It feels grainy in my mouth. So it, it, what it implies is that they like used artificial cinnamon and then like threw in a dash of cinnamon for like real flavor. I didn't feel any so, texture. I, I felt no. You might get the, the ginger way. extract. That might oh, be maybe the. Maybe that's uh, what it is. That might be the 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 texture. Oh or yeah, I guess I can cinnamon. see that graininess. No, no, no. Sarah hasn't made up her mind yet either. She's just. <laughs> so, uh... I've I've always liked it, but you know I'm a fan of of bark. So. Wait, <laughs> what? That's not the first time you've made this joke. Wait, that joke on this show. <laughs> <laughs> he's made so many jokes, I've forgotten the ones that he's now. They're all dad jokes. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Hilarious. I will always be a good audience for this. Oh, good. Well, I have a whole, oh, I have a whole I, bunch I, more. I'm a terrible audience for this. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm KJ a just Patrick, you can locks it. Yeah. I think KJ just oh, goes, okay, you're the bye. worst, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. And I'm over here. As just... long as it's not my dad making the jokes. Because he's, <laughs> he's only got four. And the, I've, only I got heard four. them all by the time I was four, literally. And four. he <laughs> continued to use the same four jokes. So. All right. Mm. Well, let's. I guess let's get into ratings. Let's yeah. get into, Let's let's go ahead and uh, Joy. What do you think? You this is your your what's, revisit. What's my what's my um, uh, pine? How many pine nuts out of five? Out of five. Yeah. How many pine nuts out of five? Okay, but I'm biased because I actually do know the flavor. Sure. So while I don't I that's, love that's good. the can, okay. If you had it um, in a white, I give it a four for when it tastes really great and it's nice and refreshing and cold. I give it a three in the can, though. Okay. Hey. Huh. I like that. Is it's it the all can about delivery of, that moves of it, it from as well. four to three? Yeah, or? I can't. I can't get past the can for some reason. It just doesn't belong. The two don't mix to me. Right, so right. just introducing. I'm a little distracted a by the can. cognitive dissonance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Maybe That's I should have picked the crackers. Yeah. <laughs> it's, nah, it's okay. The crackers are crackers. Like Pat- Joy Patrick like, well, has they weren't served on a plate, so I don't like the crackers sure. either. Right. <laughs> Patrick has rated things on the look of it as well. So, yeah. you know. I mean, it has a lot to do with it. It has a lot Delivery to do with it. Delivery is part of the process. Sure. Exactly. Sure. Um, but, KJ, what are you giving us? Mm, I'm going to give this two and a half dates out of five. I am half. not sure if I like it or not. So, it sits squarely in the middle. Like, I don't love that it slaps me with artificial cinnamon flavor. I do love mm. that it like smooths out into like a nice cinnamon flavor. The can, I don't know, man. It's weird. And I'm drinking this on an empty stomach, which I know shouldn't affect me, but maybe it does. I'm just in a weird kind of headspace right now. So yeah, two and a half. It's it's good. I mean, I wouldn't be disappointed if somebody gave this to me. Um, I would love to try the rice drink. What's it called? Chike? Chike. Um, chike. chike. Okay. Yeah, I uh, think you would really like that so one. So there, I think I've said this on the show before, but I've had a rice drink that is sweet, that is good. 
but I was young enough that I either never heard or was never told or just don't remember what it was called. So I will know it when I taste it, but until then, I don't know. So <laughs> anyways, two and a half out of five from me. Nathan? Well, since I've had something similar already and I knew kind of what it was going to taste like, uh, I I have to give it a high rating because I I do like it. <laughs> you don't I like cinnamon, have to give like it I said. A high rating. I'm going to give it a four because it, it tastes exactly how I expected it to taste. It is refreshing. I like it cold. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a fan. So, and getting hit in the face with persimmons uh, as a kid with little firecrackers in it does not dissuade me at all. So, <laughs> but actually, like you got hit in the face. That's like a memory for you? Yeah. He well, just wow. So persimmons, the first thing that I that I think of when I think of persimmons is I do think of the tree that was in front of a friend's house and we would put little firecrackers in them when they were ripe and throw them at each other and try to time it so that they would blow up right before they hit you. And you just get, uh, you know, a, a, a splattering of persimmons. <laughs> and so that's my memory of persimmons. And uh, the inside pulp is like all orange. It like, is. <laughs> yeah. Stuck on your so, face. Oh, I didn't close. have another memory of persimmons until my wife, um, her her grandmother had a persimmon tree and she would dehydrate them and uh, we would eat them. So that was the, the the nicer memory of persimmons. But the young memory was was getting hit with them in firecrackers. So, um, however, I still like the taste of this. Uh, and nice. yeah, I four out of five for me. So. Well, Patrick? I'm going to I'm going to give it a three. Um I would have given it a lower rating, but it tasted better than I thought going in. Um, (laughs) I actually would have given it a four, but I think that the can, I think I can tell that this drink is coming from a can and that it should not originally come from one. So (laughs) I think I would like to try this and revisit this in its natural form, and then I will revisit that. But a canned version, I'm going to go with a three. Three dates. I think it's, like I said, it's very refreshing at the end of a nice big Korean meal and they give it to you at the end of the, of like a dessert almost. So, um, I, I like it. Good. Well, Hey, we got a full, uh, a splattering of, of ratings. We got a face full of, uh, <laughs> sweet cinnamon punch. We uh, have flashbacks. Well, I mean, speaking wow. of uh, speaking of dinners and, and nice Korean meals, I think we're all getting ready to go do some sort of meal. So uh, as we wrap up here, Joy, just for our listeners, could you share one more time where we can find you at? Sure. You can find me at IamAdaptee.org and uh, SejongUSA.org. Amazing. Thank you. No, thank you, Joy. Uh, really appreciate you being here. Yeah, that's yeah, and, uh, I don't know why we're all whispering now, but it's because of reverence. It's reverence. The end we're of now in a whisper. Uh, thank you very much for coming. Yeah. <laughs> this is thoughts for your thoughts. Thoughts for your thoughts. As I always, am. you can email us at Show at justlikemedia.com. You can find us on uh, Instagram and all the other sources at Show, And, uh, of course, After Party on Facebook. We are there and announcing more information about our our Doljanchi are gathering in August 29th in Los Angeles, K-Town. We will have a it's going to be an amazing <laughs> amazing thing. I'm just going to put it there. You've already I've seen people yep. already It will be about as it. good as a persimmon that gets <laughs> thrown at your face and then explodes in a glorious burst of orange. I really hope you guys don't do that to me when I'm <laughs> Well, you should have never told us now the story. I got plans. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah. You, yeah. you oh, can get tickets for that or information, johnchishow.com backslash live. Yes. Backslash um, live. 
yeah, you can find me at KJ Relke wherever I want to be found on the internet. I would love for someone to write in with the proper way to pronounce persimmons because as we've been talking about it, all I can think about is that bit in Kim's Convenience. So someone talk to me about it. <laughs> uh, while you're trying to talk to that about Kim, wait, what? Okay, anyways, you can find <laughs> me at Patrick in the World on Instagram, at Parmesan Strong on Twitter. Um, and you can also find resources uh, on this website I created, PatrickInTheWorld.me. I'm never going to stop laughing at your Twitter handle. Um, <clears throat> the people voted. You can, fi- you can find me now. I'm uh, on Instagram as nnowak. So I am um, switching over to that now instead of my <laughs> photography one. We'll make it more personal. So join me, nnowak, on Instagram. And thank you all for being here. Joy and the listeners and everybody. Yep. <laughs> we'll see you next week. John Chiheo. Bye. Not the clip. Hey, everybody. Before I let you go, I wanted to jump on and say just a few words about what the show has meant to me over the past year. Um, When this comes out, we'll be a few days away from meeting in L.A. for the first time. KJ, Nathan, Jerry and I. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. And it's very much a full circle moment because this episode is also number 53. And (laughs) so in a week's time, uh, it would be around that one year anniversary. But for me... Uh, I always, I subscribe to the 52, the number 52 being, uh, a way to describe the weeks in a year. So 53 for me is the start of year two of the John Chi show. And, uh, first wanted to thank all of our guests who have come on because doing the show has really made me understand the importance of, and the privilege of being able to share another adoptee story, especially on this platform. Um, it's a privilege because for someone to come onto our show and not only share their story, but to share the intimate details of their lives and their experiences as adoptees is, it just, it just really, it's really, really incredible that, that we have had that opportunity to be able to be able to do that and that people, uh, allow us and, and give us the opportunity to do that. Um, I also want to thank everybody that's been listening to the show i about said watching the show everybody that's been listening to the show and following us for the past year and supporting us and engaging with us um the community that has grown out of this show has been really incredible and we're about to see that uh reflected in reality um in real life in person uh here this weekend so thank you so much for for being foundational to the show uh and the growth of the show and what we are hoping to do um, for years to come. And last but not least, I just have to, I I just have to thank KJ and Nathan, um, for, and Jerry. So KJ and Nathan for going on this journey with me and for walking with me through my progression, uh, as an adoptee through the development of language and, and being able to articulate my lived experience, uh, over this past year and for being patient enough with me to, to do that, to do that. And then to Jerry for having the audacity to think that this is something that could work and then seeing that through, seeing us through to this point. You know, 
if you ask if you ask me one point three years ago, what if I ever would have even thought about doing a podcast? I would have said, yeah, I'm thinking about doing a podcast, but never like this, never in this way, and never to a point that it literally changes my life. Um, so Jerry, thank you for giving me that opportunity, for giving us this opportunity. Uh, and I'm really excited for, for what's to come. So I'm going to stop talking now, but I just wanted to come on here and say thank you to everyone. This show has meant the world to me. As I said, it's changed my life. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to what we're able to do here in the next 52. So can't wait to see everyone in LA. Can't wait to continue engaging with you. Can't wait to continue sharing my story and sharing all of your stories, uh, here on the John Chi show. Hey, yo.